to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Great. I'm glad. (laughs) Uh, I'm also glad that all these listeners are here. That's true. I'm Joe Patrice. I'm from Above the Law, as is Catherine Rubino, who keeps talking, even though she hasn't been introduced yet. But now she has been. Am I supposed to wait for an invitation from you? It's not an invitation. It's, you know, me making a grand entrance. Sometimes you have to assert yourself, man. I mean, that's a, if, if you want to do the beginning of the show always, you can do it. Absolutely not. I much prefer to annoy you with it. See, I, I'm not annoyed by it anymore. You I'm just not. decided. I've, I've decided I'm not. Because I think that twitch in your eyes says otherwise. That I, There's no twitch. <laughs> so let's jump oh. right into small talk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you do anything fun this weekend? I can't even remember. I don't think so. Well, I did some gardening. Oh, that that's was, nice. That was, um, well, not really fun, but, you know, productive. So I guess that counts. Growing anything interesting? No, 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 no. Mostly killing weeds is what oh, I was Oh, killing doing. things. So, but when I say things like gardening, it sounds like, you know, it was a cute little hobby. If I say weeding, the implication is that I've, you know, let the garden go to pot, and now I need to clean it up, which is way more accurate. But oh, fair enough. Not necessarily the image that I wish to project into the world. So, you know. Oh, that's not true. The other fun thing I did was listen to the new Lizzo album. Oh, yeah? How's yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, I really like it. Good. Really, really like it. Birthday Girl, so far, is my favorite. But, you know, I think the more you listen to it, you get different favorites. But on the initial few dozen listening to the album. I really enjoyed Birthday Girl. Yeah, I, uh, I, oh, that, that's something I did. I continue my quest to get good at making homemade pizza by making homemade pizza. So, and I actually. That means you also ate some pizza, huh? I did. It, well, and I managed to get the, you know, so personally, I prefer when pepperoni is that cool kind of pepperoni that like curves up and makes like little cups filled sure. with like grease, whatever. I know they market it that way. Yeah. Well, so I been buying the like version that's marketed that way, but I managed to make it myself using a stick. It ju- you just got to, you got to slice it super thin, but I was able to get. Your knife skills you know, little, are improving, I guess. I know, well, no, I, I have a mandolin slicer now so well, okay. I mean, it's like a professional tool so it yeah. still counts yeah yeah do you so remember anyway. i think that it was like i think it was like pizzeria uno who used to have this pepperoni pizza where they would have like the thin little slices but then they would also like chunk up pepperoni mm, into yeah like, i've seen chunk up like but it's like chunk up with the curly kind Ooh, and it was like so like you know how the curly ones especially when it's on top they can get a little like crispy and almost like lose some of the pepperoniness uh and then you but you had like the chunky ones underneath that really gave you that bite of pepperoni along with the crisp on top see that's something for you to consider for your future in pizza making seems if you know excessive. this whole if this whole blogging thing doesn't work out for you fair enough or podcasting all right well i i think i think with that we can put a stop to the um small talk are you waiting for me to? <laughs> I thought that was it. Yeah. I did think you were just waiting to irritate me. Hey. But, but I'm going to take a note from your uh, bug. And you're and not going to be bothered by bother it anymore. anymore. Yeah, see, there we go. There we go. I'm lying. Mm. Just so we're clear. So this is actually one of those instances where we already had previewed this last week. And we're going to, you know, make Fulfills good on what we fulfill, what we, you know, it, it's payoff. For our regular listeners, congratulations. You need a little payoff. So last week we laid out 
you know, the, the Chekhov's gun of, well, I guess, Elon's gun in this <laughs> instance, uh, that Elon Musk was about to get sued by sure Twitter. did. Elon Musk has now been sued by Twitter. Uh, and a lot has happened in that case that's of note. So we got to see the complaint. There's a above the law story about it that you can read in detail, of course, breaking down the complaint. But the general takeaway from the complaint is it's not looking great for old Elon. Well, I mean, in fairness, you, I think from day two after they announced the deal, were saying, I think he's trying to get out of the deal. Yeah, within uh, which, moments he was. Yeah, w- yeah, which doesn't bode well for, you know, good faith um, efforts by one party to a deal uh, without knowing the specifics. That is certainly something that jumps out to me, at least initially. Yeah. So the problem I think uh, coming at this from a litigation perspective, uh, which obviously I'm not a M&A lawyer, though I feel as though I'm you getting play some- one on TV? No, it's, I feel like I'm getting some good apprenticeship in <laughs> deal making, though, uh, just by covering this story. In fact, I, I've been hearing from M&A lawyers who've been writing back channel to me about my stories that I'm getting everything pretty much right. So that's nice. good to know that nice. I'm able to Again, this if stuff this out. whole blogging thing doesn't work right, out Right, I could you. be a lawyer or something like I was before. Anyway, so- But you weren't an M&A lawyer. That's true. Anyway, I think the more, the more damning lines from this, it can really come down to, uh, there, there's one line in the complaint that I really enjoyed where Twitter says, the agreement was negotiated through the night and, in the process, became even more seller-friendly. That's <laughs> never a good place to begin if you're the buyer going to court. This agreement was apparently at, uh, requested by Elon to be seller-friendly because he wanted to get it done immediately. Uh, then they negotiated it overnight, and it became more seller-friendly, including explicitly agreeing to specific performance if the, if the deal started to not be done, uh, basically agreeing that the courts of Delaware are allowed to force him to buy Twitter if he... Ruh-roh. Yeah. He also waived his rights to due diligence. Uh, See, that's the one that gets me. Yeah, so he... Uh, it's, it's stunning, and obviously Elon has been on Twitter complaining about bots basically since he decided... Well, since the value of Tesla kind of tanked, right? These are mm-hmm. not unrelated facts. But one of the things that... One of the details of this very seller-friendly agreement is that he waives all due diligence. And I'm like, well, then I don't see your complaint. Yeah, so theoretically, he would have the right to dig into a series of aspects of Twitter's business to make sure that Mm -hmm. what he's buying is what he wants. He decided in the interest of getting the deal done quickly that he didn't care about any of that. Now, obviously, he needs to find a way out. There is a provision that says that if there's some materially adverse condition that the company is basically broken and lying and fraud, fraud, defrauding people, that he could get out. He's attempting to argue that the incidents of fake spam accounts are much bigger than Twitter says they are. Uh, Twitter says they're around 5%. He says they're much, he asserts that they're much yeah, bigger he's, than that. There's no evidence behind there that assertion, of, correct? Correct. There's no evidence. So, uh, it's not he compelling. asked the company to provide him proof. They provided him, according to the complaint, a detailed document explaining how they calculate this. Uh, he later, according to the complaint, admits that he never read this document. It's not uh, a good fact. After asking for, for it. Yeah. They, they have this number. 
they say it's around 5%. He says uh, it's not. But the crux is it doesn't, what, it, what seems to be lacking from all conversation from the Tesla bros about this <laughs> is that it's not enough to say, aha, gotcha, it was really 6% or something like that, because that is not a material change to Twitter's business model. Whether, sure. You know, yeah, he, he's got to be coming up with the idea that this is... 75%. Yeah, like 50, 60% or something like that, probably. Yeah. I mean, even if, even if he were able to get to 15%, that would be questionable whether or not that's material, but at least it's in the ballpark. But right now, his big complaint, and we've seen since the orig original complaint came out, he hasn't answered this complaint yet, but sure. But the complaint was you are given time, according to well, the complaint also included a motion to expedite the trial and mm -hmm. basically go to trial in the fall. He wants to push this to 2023, so he wrote a answer to that motion, which will be here be heard uh, this week. Uh, that answer to the motion uh, is not about the case in chief, but does give us a preview of his theories in the case in chief. And he really leans into Twitter didn't use any AI for some reason to calculate how many bots there were, but instead took a random sample and used that. That's how these things... That that's how I'm statistics no work. Quiz, but that is that is my understanding of statistics. That is how statistics work. And interestingly, he leans into in this answer that oh, they only took point zero 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 five percent of the total, and like that seems like a lot. It it it's a small amount, but you know, in the world of statistics, if you're pulling a truly random sample, I like. It's been a many years since I've had to do this since my economics degree as an undergrad, I had to do a lot of stats. And so I haven't done a lot of it lately, but I was able to dust off my skills and do a little bit of calculating. And it worked out that that probably results in, I don't know, uh, around 1% margin of error. So maybe so not material, maybe Twitter has 6% bots, not five, not or maybe not they have four, four, right somewhere in there. Oh, okay. Here's a Maybe I'm being silly, but why is this statistical mechanism relevant for the question of whether or not there's an expedited trial? Well, his well, it's not. And in okay. fairness to, okay. I mean, I say it's not. He his argument for why it is is that the only way to get to the truth would require massive and intensive factual and expert discovery about what the proper method is and get a bunch of data and whatever, which it doesn't because he he's of this mind that the only way to figure out how many bots there are it's is like to interview every Twitter user. He wants to build some like algorithm that is constantly always looking at all 300 million or whatever accounts to figure out what's going on, which is just lunacy to get that deep well, two, when you can use stats like we do for everything else. Also, two things strike me as absolute killers to this argument. The first we've already discussed, right, which is it definitely does not require physically counting or doing some creating new algorithm because you literally said no due diligence. But also the mechanism by which Twitter uh, calculates its bots ratio has been disclosed in all of its public filings. Right. So this is known. So he should have known a or his lawyer certainly knew if he personally didn't certainly knew that this is how Twitter has said that it has calculated bots 
since they started disclosing it, what, however right. many years in ago. A, yeah, in their but SEC there's been filing. numerous filings filed with the government, with the SEC, that explicitly says this is how we calculate it. Right. So, and, and this goes to the question whether or not there's actual factual or expert discovery needed. Mm -hmm. The question that's really on the table is, did Twitter perform the tests it said it did right. and did those tests yield the results they say they did? And as long as that's true, that should end the inquiry. Yeah. The, the question Pretty of whether cleanly. or not there's some other way they could be testing is really immaterial. Mm -hmm. Immaterial, I meant not as a term of art, but also as a term of art uh, in this case. It's it's really bad. And the one the one thing they do say in their motion to uh, to against the expedited trial, the one thing they do say there that 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 may help uh, and actually may get them over the hump on that specific question is that Twitter's argument is this needs to be done by the fall because the merger agreement terminates in October, but there is a clause saying that it's stayed if there's litigation. So sure. that may be enough to push the trial a little bit later. But the idea that this trial has to be pushed because of how complex it is, is just wild. It, it, well, it, it suggests nobody understands statistics over there, which is a problem. Or it's uh, just their best argument. So yeah, sometimes, maybe. sometimes you advance arguments as a lawyer that you know are unlikely to be winners. Well, you know, it's interesting. They say you say that's their best argument, but I I saw a op ed in the Wall Street Journal from oh, yeah. some law professors. I was going to say it sounds like it sounds to me like this is a slam dunk legal argument. For oh yeah, Twitter. I mean, it, it, but it's but, so weird. This Wall Street Journal op ed by some law professors said that it was obvious that Musk was going to win. Uh, really impressive, yeah. Because then I read it and um, yeah. It's not it's bad. It's it, like bad, bad. So your wait, wait, your argument is that the Wall Street Journal op ed is was disingenuous and wrong. What a shock, <laughs> I, especially last week, given that they they had a they had a bad week at their op ed page. <laughs> uh, they they got they got missed. They got disproven in real time uh, last <laughs> week, multiple times. But the argument it was it just it just hurts okay. my head it's okay you can you can tell it me what the bad man did so, to you so yeah so these professors started saying well i mean there's no way there could be spe specific performance here putting aside that that's agreed to explicitly in the merger agreement i mean that's a pretty big thing to put which aside is pretty big but as our former colleague uh, the former deal breaker uh one of Above the Law's companion sites. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but formerly of Deal Breaker, now of Bloomberg, as Matt Levine put, he took like 10 seconds, was able to come up with multiple cases in Delaware, under Delaware law, where specific performance was ordered. Indeed, the judge who's assigned to this case has already done it in the past. Uh, it, it's, it's just bad. And they, they make, they make so, uh, some arguments about, uh, it, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm you seem flummoxed. It, it was it was a little disconcerting to read because it was as though they hadn't bothered to do the basics of that sort of research. Uh, they, they make a, a this convoluted argument that because shareholders aren't a party to this lawsuit, that means that if they don't order specific performance, which they say they can't, but they can, uh, if they don't do that, there's no way to create monetary damages because it would go to the company and not to the shareholders. But that's not even true in Delaware. They, they've done that in Delaware law. What they do is they just order, you pay, you yeah. pay the company and they're ordered to give it to the share. Like it was like it was thrown together. In I, order to I, capitalize on headlines? I, maybe I, it, it is I difficult. Mean, you have listen. It's the only article that I've certainly seen about the merger that suggests that 
Twitter's not going to win, yeah. right? So it gets a little bit of hot takey kind yeah. of, you know. It pe- felt very ESPN hot take show, sort mm-hmm. of, you know. Well, it, it's like the Jason Wilbon of m and yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, I will say in their defense, the, the professors did write me uh, on Friday night to explain. Hmm. It was a Friday night or Saturday night. Well, one of these nights, uh, they wrote me to explain their case and, uh, you know, to give a detailed explanation of where they thought their case was making more sense or whatever. And by detailed explanation, they called me a douchebag and that was... That was the substance of Well, their... I don't want to say that they're right about anything. Okay, that's all right there. Oh, come on. You got to give yeah, me that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, there's there's no attempt at actually substantively answering any of the issues. It's well, just... it's hard when you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to come up with answers when facts and the law are just not on your side. You. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's rough. Anyway. Won't, won't you please think of the hot takers? Yeah, I, I guess that's true. The hot take economy does... Does deserve its help, yeah. Anyway, so that's where we Some sit. Disingenuous. That's where we sit with uh, with Elon. Yeah, that is where we are. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. Okay, we're back. What else do we have going on this week? I wrote about impeachment. What? Oh, well, I mean, there's a term that, you know, you you learned as a child and learned that it never comes up and has come up multiple times in my lifetime. Uh, so many times <laughs> in my lifetime. Three times as, for president? It's for presidents, up. yes. For president, but but those aren't the only people who can be impeached. No, it there isn't. There we go. It isn't. There's actually a Supreme Court justice that has already historically been impeached, Samuel Chase. But uh, there was a letter written by um, a couple of Congress people, including uh, AOC, saying that they wanted uh, the Senate to, to make a finding a fact as to whether or not justices Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch lied to the Senate during their confirmation hearings about whether or not they would overturn Roe based on various statements that they made. And 
you know, that's all it kind of asks is that, you know, this kind of somebody lying in order to get a lifetime appointment cannot be tolerated, et cetera, et cetera. It does not go this further step. But certainly when I read it, the first thing I thought about is like, oh, they just want to tee up an impeachment vote. Right. If some if they if there's a finding by the Senate that, yes, we believe these folks lied under oath, that seems to beg the House to have an impeachment vote. And um, listen, we've said in on this podcast about previous impeachments that the most important thing about impeachment is your ability to count to 60. And there's zero chance that there are enough votes for removal that there'll there'll ever be a former Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh or Justice Gorsuch. But I I also think that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. You know, mm. listen, this, the January 6th hearings are going on. They have been riveting. I think they have really done a tremendous job of showing what public spectacle looks like and why it's important to kind of change the conversation. Why shouldn't we drag Kavanaugh and Gorsuch through it? Make them, make them be impeached. Make them have, you know, remembered by history as, you know, the only th- one of only three justices that have ever been impeached. Let's have Susan Collins justify why she won't actually remove the justices despite now going on TV and being like, oh, I feel personally lied to when we all knew that this was coming. Yeah, I mean, she yeah, she's either deeply cynical or the easiest mark in the world. I think it's a deeply little, cynical. Yeah. But no, I mean, it, but, so I was on record as opposing the initial, the, the first Trump impeachment mm-hmm. for that counting to 60 reason. Uh, and my logic was, He probably did obstruct justice, but if you're not going to get a conviction, what do you accomplish? I felt all you do is whip up his supporters into believing there's some sort of martyrdom and that it was all. And of course, when he doesn't get removed, he's been vindicated. Yeah, exactly. So those were the reasons I was opposed to that. But in this instance, it's a little bit different, I think. There's no need for the, there's no way these people are going to be removed. But I think it accomplishes a few goals I agree with you. I think it accomplishes a few goals that you wouldn't necessarily, as opposed to just removal. I mean, A, it does expose people like Collins to the, you know, the the the, the fires of criticism that mm-hmm. they absolutely deserve. But it also brings, I think, up the idea that the Supreme Court has devolved into being purely political. Putting aside what the results of this is, it would put them in the same seat as a Trump or a Clinton before of being impeached, which underscores the political nature of it, which I think is very important if you're somebody like me who thinks that we need to have term limits or other sorts of reforms or even more extreme than me, but I understand expanding the court. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to make that case, a lot of the pushback to that case is, well, we shouldn't make the court be political. Uh, If you too late, the ship sailed. Putting aside that the ship has sailed, if you have people, if you drag people through a spectacle of pointing out that they Mm -hmm. lied under oath to Congress, you really are, you really are putting yourself in a position of saying, look, this has happened to the only hope is some more fundamental reform, which I think helps that that position. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that it's not a bad idea. You know, uh, a reader actually reached out to me after I wrote the article and wanted to know why Amy Coney Barrett was not included. And, you know, in the first instance, I'm like, well, that's 
that's was the letter. I'm responding to what the letter said. The letter has those two uh, justices specifically called out. But I think it's also because in some ways she was she's been a more cynical actor. If you recall, during the hearing, she said, oh, I don't know how I would uh, I don't know how I'd rule on any abortion case. And I think my article at the time when that happened, I was like, yes, she does. Right. Yes, she does. She's lying. She's definitely I know exactly how she's going to rule. So does she. But that's the kind of lie that you can't prove, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think she was way more cynical in her answers. And, you know, perhaps all this ever does is make any but any potential justice more cynical and more vague in their answers going forward. But none of which is a reason not to do this right now, in my mind. Yeah, no, it, it, it does seem like it has benefits beyond the counting to 60 part. So, yeah, very interesting. So, yeah. So the last issue, you already kind of raised the rivetingness of the rivetingness or whatever. Uh, the the Your rivetingness. I think. I think that's a word. And whatever it is now. Yeah, yeah. There you go. The, it is decided. Yes, it is decided. So the, the, uh, the rivetingness of the January 6th hearings, uh, I wrote a little bit about this in a piece that you know, I, I feel is more of a public service piece. Yeah. Uh, I don't know as though, like not, not a ton of people have necessarily read it yet, but those that have have been reaching out and thanking me for it. I did a detailed breakdown of, it was part of the January 6th hearing, if you've been watching any of it. They have a lot of video clips of the testimony that they've taken, video depositions, you know? That's, that's the way that's it works. And that's, and that's something that lawyers do all the time. They're also, and this is also a plug for court reporting services, court reporting services are very much involved with videographers and building a system that gives you, as a lawyer, a good, a good product to mm -hmm. use. Uh, you can also, there's uh, e-discovery, Outfits have, I know Everlaw, for instance, has a very lovely little AV editor that allows you to put together and sync up your video clips with the testimony and all. It, it, there's some slick stuff going on out there in this that world. Is, that is not what Sidney Powell was doing, though. Well, and this is, this is my point. While there's all of this technology out there and work being done and the just prolific nature of video testimony, these hearings underscore that lawyers aren't of all the actors thinking about this lawyers are really asleep at the switch as far as what their witnesses look like on camera yeah i mean well at least some of them at least some of them yes that's that's fair so i went through and did a detailed breakdown of all the different not all but i looked at all and uh, a healthy Pick selection some highlights a healthy selection yeah. of the video deposition worst. testimony that we've already seen and talk about the ways in which it is poorly framed mm. and a disservice to the client to put them in this position. Okay, like, so you've written about a lot of these. My question to you is, whose video setup it was the absolute worst and why? Mm. I feel like it, it, for different reasons, I feel like it was Bill Stepien's uh, where his lawyer is in the foreground taking up most of the screen and he's like the weirdly behind him testifying so okay here's a, awkward here's a question though is it actually bad though if you're trying to kind of blend into the scenery the and minimize your impact and and you don't necessarily want this to be your digital footprint for forever is it 
Is it that bad? Well, and th- and that's the question. Was some of this being crazier, uh, crazy like a fox and just saying, I'm going to create the worst possible framing for this video testimony so that nobody will ever use it in a serious way? Well, I do think that, you know, I kind of mentioned Sidney Powell already, but her testimony, I mean, it looked terrible because it looked like it was from 1985. It was as choppy and as as just awful background, awful everything, which I don't think is clever like a fox at all or stupid like a fox or whatever. And the other one that I am not sure that they really thought about um, is former above the law columnist uh, Kaylee McEnany, uh, mm. which you you delighted me with a, an angel reference. Because, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Old school, old school Wolfram and Hart reference. Yeah, no. Which if people are did never watch the TV show Angel was the law firm that was actually a um, evil. It was evil. And I think there was some sort of a hell mouth that they opened up there. Something like that. Well, it was so much like Kaylee McEnany. Anyway, the point is her her testimony was bizarre because it was it was almost it was in this super dark room with the curtains drawn and there were shadows everywhere. She looked. She looked weird in all the shadows, but her attorney behind her looked looked almost menacing. Uh, it, it, it was it was bad. I, I thought that was bad. I thought that the I mean, I, you never want someone's takeaway of the image of you to be evil, right? Yeah, that looked evil. Is not if you're trying to be like, no, we did not try to take down the U.S. Republic. It's not a great look. I mean, Ivanka and Jared both testified in like backed up against a marble wall which which looked like the like the simulacrum of classy but in but but in reality it just looked like they were doing it from the lobby of a bad office building like it, <laughs> and and why are your wires your back to it, it was so weird so many of these are terrible and it, it and you know so there there were a couple of good video ones but the best ones as one might expect were people like Bill Barr who had who you know is a savvy operator who did it in person with the investigators so that he would be at the same table that they were. Mm-hmm. So he would be filmed no, no in the same in power quality. dynamic, same yep. quality. It, same quality video, same everything. Like that, that's the smart way to do it. Now, not everybody has that luxury, but if you aren't going to have that luxury, I implore you to take a second or two to think about what you look like. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that, that, that happened. Uh, cool. Yeah, that's pretty much everything for the week, isn't it? It was it was a hell of a week. I'm sure there was a lot more, but uh, that's that's our time, as they say. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for listening. You should subscribe to the show so you get them when they come out. You should give reviews, stars, write something. It's all good for us. Uh, you should be reading Above the Law so you can see these and other stories uh, before we chat about them here you should be following us on social media i'm at joseph patrice she's at catherine one the numeral one you should also follow at atl blog which is our uh official stream uh you should listen to our other shows she's the host of the jabot i'm a panelist on the legal tech week journalist roundtable there's a bevy of programs by the legal talk network that we aren't on but you should also be checking out you should be what else should you be doing there's something else they should be doing. Anyway, I'm sure it'll come back to me at some Write point. reviews? Yeah, write reviews. The, yeah, I think I said that. Anyway, point is, you should do these things. They're great. I think that's it. Peace.
If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.